You're listening to Freedom Christian Fellowship's podcast. This isn't even what I'm talking about today, but it's something that the Lord put in my heart during worship. I want to show you something. For some of you that deal with the, the goodness of God and you um, struggle understanding this and the mercy of God and how God's mercy pursues us, I want to show you something, a little bit of, of nerdiness for you real quick that shows the mercy of God in action even from the very beginning. Okay. And how close God wants to be to you. How powerful this is. Right now, on the Jewish calendar, what's happening is that we are entering into a season in a month of what are called the High Holy Days. Okay? So, don't worry about this because we don't, we don't celebrate these things. They've all been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And I can show you that later. But there's two. The first one is called Rosh Hashanah. And the second one is Yom Kippur. And these two are celebrated basically a week apart. And these are the high holy days because they celebrate two specific things. This one, Rosh Hashanah, is the beginning of the world. It is when God both created the heavens and the earth and he created man. And what this signifies is God is king as creator and the one who is able to make all things anew. In Jesus Christ, we see the fulfillment of this. Because in Jesus Christ, he makes all things new. And then in Yom Kippur, this is a time of atonement, of repentance, and forgiveness. It's a day, one day of fasting from everything, from everything. Food, water, relations, everything. Work, everything. And they go before the Lord and they cry out to the Lord and they ask God to forgive them of the things that they had committed in the previous year. Now, this is what I want to tell you is that this, of course, has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That we don't go on a yearly basis anymore. Thank you, Jesus. Why? Because at the Day of Atonement at Yom Kippur, two significant things that happened is that there would have been a sacrificial lamb, which thank you, Jesus, he is. But then there also would have been what's called a scapegoat. And this term, if you've ever heard the term scapegoat before, it actually came from this biblical Old Testament thing where the high priest would take a goat and he would put his hands upon the goat and he would put the sins of Israel upon the head of this goat and they would throw it off a cliff. And the reason why they did that is because they couldn't, no longer could they carry the, the, the weight of their sin. But it also symbolized that when God accepted first the offering of the sacrificial lamb, then second, the sins were atoned for and they were forgotten forever. That is why the scripture says this. When God tells us in Jesus Christ, when the word tells us in Jesus Christ, that our sins are forgiven and that we are made as white as snow. This is what it is referring to. But it's not, again, an annual contract. But this isn't even what I'm trying to show you. Because a lot of times what happens is that we see God through the lens of judgment. He's going to judge us. And that's what Israel saw because they could not see the mercy of God. But I want to tell you what this month is and the Jewish calendar it is the month of Elul, which is the final month of the year. 
And it is a time of introspection. But there is a prayer that Jews pray. And I want to tell you this because I believe this is prophetic and powerful. Now, if you're new here, we don't do this every Sunday. I don't dip into the old Jewish past. We don't, we don't do that. We're not a Messianic congregation. Here's the thing, is that they would say, the king is in the field. And what they were saying is this, is that God is near. God is near. God is near. If you have a concern or if you have a weight of sin that is covering you, then go to the king because the king is near. And for a whole month, they are celebrating, crying out this. The king is in the field. And what they are saying, and they don't even understand it, but in Jesus Christ, we understand it through the Holy Spirit, is that we serve a God who is rich in mercy, and his mercy always comes before his judgment, and he is near. Oh, come on. All right. I don't even want to talk to you about that today. All right, just, just take that home with you. Just remember that. This month, if you, if you feel like, God, I feel alone, or if I feel like the weight of my life is heavy, and I don't know, I keep messing up, the king is in the field. The king is in the field. His mercy always comes, precedes his judgment. There's two truths that Jews believe about God. He is rich in mercy, and he is rich in judgment. But mercy always comes forth first. And God put this in motion from the very beginning. And we see the fulfillment of it in Jesus Christ. God is not mad at you. He loves you and he is for you and he wants to be near to you. Oh, thank you, Jesus. All right. Let's pray and go home. All right. All right. That's not what I want to talk about today. I do want to start a new series uh, talking about uh, it's called Trapped, and we're going to talk about something um, that we all struggle with. We've all struggled with it. If you haven't, you've been living under a rock, and good for you. But we're talking about uh, dealing with offense. And this is always a, a bit of a touchy subject, so I want to handle this with a lot of grace and a lot of, of again, think about this principle that the mercy of God always comes before the justice, Okay. And so whenever we have to talk about this in our life, what happens is that God comes out with a lot of grace. And there's a purpose to having this conversation. And the purpose is big. And the purpose is uh, God wants our freedom. He wants us to live in freedom. He wants us to be free, not bound to some things that try to steal our freedom. Not bound to opinions. Opinions. Some of us are bound to opinions that we are locked into this never-ending cycle of considering what people think. Sometimes we're locked into our never-ending cycle of what we think. Being free from other people's standards. Some of you grew up in, in harshly critical homes. I think this is one of the things, I didn't really even grow up in a very critical home. But there are things, I'll tell you a quick story. There are things that make me cringe about how I parented because of the way that my dad and mom treated me wrongly, okay? And they weren't bad. My parents were great. My parents were great. 
But my dad was a strict man. He was a military man. And there was always something to fix. And one time, it's one of the saddest things in my life, y'all. And I don't know why I want to tell you this story, but I, I need to tell you this story. One of the saddest things as a father that I ever did is when my, my, my son, who, man, I love, and I'm so proud. He's, he's a better man than I am in so many ways. But he's a little guy who's playing soccer. He was like seven years old. And he wasn't running hard enough on the field. And so after, after practice, I made him run laps until he started crying. And you know what I realized is that I justified that. I justified that. I said, hey, it makes him tough. He's a little boy. It makes him tough. And what I didn't realize was this, is that I was, I was operating under a different standard in my life that was robbing me of the freedom. And there I was putting that on my son, passing it down. And do you see, look, I know that story, right? Some of you guys, you understand that story. Maybe you grew up that way. But a lot of times we don't realize how the enemy attempts to steal our freedom. And the whole objective of the grace and the mercy of God is to bring us into freedom. And so we have to begin to let the Holy Spirit deal with these things. Does that make sense? Yeah, some of us, that, that stings a little bit. It stings for me. We also have to have freedom to take risks for God. We have to have freedom from fear of failure. Uh, side note to that story, okay, because um, I'm feeling pretty bad about myself right now, is that when you got into high school and he played high school soccer, I used to yell at the refs, so I just made up for it that way, okay? So I, I screamed at the refs. All right, and I stopped screaming at him, All right. All right, that's a joke. All right, sorry. Freedom to have healthy relationships, okay? I want you guys really to laugh today. I want you to laugh. I want you to smile. Freedom to influence people to be more Christ-centered. So here's two things that we have to have in order for freedom to reign in our life. And it's very simple, and, but they're powerful things that we can never lose sight of. And the first is this, is that we have to have a healthy, growing relationship with God. We have to have a healthy, growing relationship with God. If we're going to be free, it starts with that relationship. It starts with our vertical relationship. And so we have to take care of that relationship and, and nurture that relationship. But the second area that we have to be careful with, and this deals specifically with how the enemy attempts to destroy this with offense, is the second area is our relationship with other people. Is that if we're going to walk in freedom, there's two areas that we have to protect, and it's our vertical relationship, have a healthy, growing relationship with God, but we also have to have a healthy, growing relationship with other people. You can't do what you have been called to do alone. We talked a, a little bit about that last week in that third pillar of our Christian walk, talking about our gifts and how our gifts are nurtured together and, and how God has fit us together. Think about all of the encouragement that you've had from from brothers and sisters in Christ, all the, the help that you've had, all the prayer that you've had. And you can see how if the enemy was going to sideline us, he would attempt to do it in one of these two areas. He would attempt to cause us to become offended with God, and some of you might have been in that place, or maybe today you are in this place. Something happened in your life that you don't understand, uh, whether it, it could be anything. But you got offended with God. And you're offended with God. And I want to tell you today, if that's you, it's okay. God honestly is not looking at you, judging you. He's not angry with you for that, but he desperately wants to heal your heart. He desperately wants to heal your heart. But every one of us have been affected by the potential or 
the actuality of being offended with another person, even people that we've been connected to spiritually to help us grow. And if the enemy can't bring offense in our relationship with God, he is going to attempt to bring it into our relationship with other people. And so we have to understand the pitfalls of offense and how God plans to get us free in order so that we can be a growing, thriving people that God's called us to be, to live in true freedom. So this is why we're talking about offense. And this is one of the main reasons why we struggle in our freedom. And offense happens when someone hurts us. Somebody might embarrass us. Somebody neglects us. Somebody makes us feel left out. Somebody didn't acknowledge us. Or somebody spoke about us. Offense is very sneaky, isn't it? When we really think about it, all these little ways that it begins to sneak in and it doesn't even have to happen from direct contact. Sometimes, again, it can happen from these things of, of simply being left out, being the last one to be picked on the team, or, or just totally being forgotten altogether. An offense slips in. I want to read to you a scripture in Luke 17, 1, as Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he begins to have this conversation, and there's a lot packed into this little scripture. He says to them, Then he said to his disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. This word offenses is the Greek word scandalon, which which means this. We get our our English word scandalous from, but here's what we see this word meaning and, and, and what it signifies. It signifies somebody waiting to lay a trap in somebody's way. And this entrapment is used by the enemy. And this is what Jesus is saying. He looks at his disciples and he says, it is impossible for offense not to come to your life. Nobody's immune to it. Nobody likes it and nobody's immune to it. And when offense comes, it detours the the, the pathway that you are on. It, It obstructs your pattern of what you're doing and how you're walking. It upsets your path. An offense becomes a tool that the devil tries to use to bring them into captivity. So when we think about this, we have to think about some of the actions. And what I want you guys to do today is think about this in two different ways. Is that I will invite you to think about this both for your own life if you've ever dealt with offense and and understanding how offense works and and listening to the Holy Spirit. We're going to have opportunity at the end of this message to Turn our hearts to God and let him begin to heal that. But also I want us to understand some of the simple ways that offense works in our lives so that we can avoid being the people who are bringing offense. Because listen also to the words that Jesus spoke here in Luke 17, 1, as he says this, but woe to him through whom they do come. It's very important to understand that the context of this, because in a little while, Jesus talks about, in the next verse, verses, few verses after this, Luke 17, 1, he talks about when a brother or sister sins against you. He tells them, go and rebuke them, meaning go and, go and show them what, what's going on. But then he goes and says, listen, if they come back to you over and over again, and they say with a pure heart that they're sorry, forgive them. 
And you know what the disciples' response was to Jesus? They said, Jesus, pray for us that we might increase our faith. They said, listen, we can't handle this in our natural. And, and Jesus understood that what he was about, what he was laying down here in just a few simple words here, what was bigger than a lot of our natural understanding. And he's trying to bring this to the forefront of our, of our, of our heart here. And just a simple, couple simple practical things. Offense does come. We've all dealt with offense. Offense is real. But let's also not be people who bring offense, who cause offense. Let's be people who walk in forgiveness, people who understand the importance of relationship. I want you to turn to 2 Timothy 2, verses 24 through 26. I'm going to talk about some of the characteristics of an offensive person and things we can't be. I want you to think of a time, some of you might not have to think very far. Some of you can look back in the last 24 hours or 48 hours where you chose to be offended with somebody and you fought with them in your mind. Does anybody go around like me where you, you, you're talking and you're talking to yourself and you don't know that you're talking out loud and you're fighting with somebody in your head? Not just me? Okay, I'm the only crazy one here. Yeah, right. I don't believe any of y'all. Sometimes I'll do that. My wife will be like, what, what's going on? Who are you talking to? Uh, nothing, babe. I was just uh, singing a worship song. <laughs> nope, I wasn't. I was planning how I could choke somebody out. <laughs> Come on. In the last week, if you really thought about it, you, how many opportunities have you had to be offended? How many, how many times have you gotten so tired that the little things offend you? Can you see how the enemy works this in? Isn't that crazy that something is as stupid as traffic and being, and being asked to do something or maybe something not going your way correlates to eventually the destruction of a relationship? Think about it. Husbands and wives, think about it. Think about the things that you fought about and why, where they started. And then remind yourself that sometimes they started in just simply being tired or overtaxed or just being foolish. If we're honest. But you see how the enemy works. Now, now this is going to bring this into focus as we read this scripture. And it's important for us to understand because there are some commands that should be shot over the bows of our life to, to warn us. To say, hey, be careful. Be careful. In 2 Timothy 2, 24-26, it says, And the Lord's servants, that's you guys, that's me, must not be quarrelsome, must be kind to everyone. What? <clears throat> Scratch that out of the Bible. That means Indians have to be kind to bulldogs, and bulldogs have to be kind to Indians. Oh, it's football season, y'all. Let me start over. And the Lord's servants must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading, to them, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Let's talk about this really quick, okay? I want to look at a few words here. 
the first one is obvious. Hey, if you're a believer, you can't be quarrelsome. <laughs> you know what that means? Uh, hey, stop, stop picking fights with people. Stop being cantankerous. I'm, I'm not even sure what that word means, but every time I've been told that I'm cantankerous, I was being a, a, the backside of me, not the front side of me. <laughs> that you're, we're not as believers, we're not, we're not entitled to be quarrelsome people, to be people who look at other people and are always trying to find the wrong, to be different in, in the sense, not different, but to be disagreeable. Hey, I'm guilty. I'm really preaching to me here. That, that, that whole principle in my life that sometimes I just want to be heard enough so that I'm just going to disagree with somebody. And you know what that makes me? It makes me quarrelsome. And if you're leaving a wake of, of more people not wanting to talk to you because it's difficult to talk to you, then let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Because you're valuable. And the gift of God in you is being diminished. And you're too valuable to the kingdom for that gift to be diminished. And so freedom has to come to you. We're not allowed to be quarrelsome. The second thing that we want to, other word I want to pick, uh, show you is this, is the word resentful. Now here Paul, as he writes to Timothy, uh, he, he's writing this and it's very clear. He's telling Timothy, look, you can't be, nor can anybody who loves the Lord be quarrelsome but resentful. Being a follower of Christ means resentfulness is not an option. It's not an option. And being resentful means that we're, we're offended easily. And it means that we're being led a lot of times by our senses. But here's the problem when we fall trapped to these things and we don't pay attention to them. And we see it in verse 26. Is that Paul writes and he says that the, those who haven't come to their senses and their understanding of what's happening, they're falling victim to the trap of the devil. And who is he talking to? Is he's talking to those who have been offended. Who have been offended. And they've let uh, the root of bitterness and quarrelsomeness and resentfulness take root in their life and they're responding out of that. And this is exactly what the enemy wants to do in this situation. And why one of the number one tactics he uses is the tactic of offense, the trap of offense. But what happens is this, is that when we come into the truth and the Holy Spirit begins to speak to us and begins to free us, then what Paul writes here becomes true is that we escape the trap of the devil. And the trap of offense is a good trap. It's kept people enslaved for a long time. You know, what's interesting about this is that when you're trapped, your whole body doesn't have to be trapped, does it? Think about uh, hunting traps, bear traps, bird traps, whatever traps, and they just trap the leg. A lot of times in our life, what happens is that we could be picking an offense could be, could be uh, festering in our life in one specific area, but it renders us totally immobile. I want you to see that. And what's insane is this, 
And again, I know I'm speaking a lot to this specific point, but I want you to please hear this, is that it, it takes and it nullifies, it mutes the gift of God in your life. I've seen good people who, who are filled with the, the gift of grace and the gift of faith and the gift of joy just get sidelined in offense. And it's just one small area of their life. And so God wants us to be free. So let's talk about this. And I want to talk just really quick about three categories of offended people, all right? Is that there are people who have been truly wronged. And that there are people who believe that they've been wronged. People who have been truly wronged. The people who believe that they've been wronged. And then people who have collected other people's offenses. So you have people who have really been wrong, people who think that they've been wronged, and people who are just collectors of offense, other people's offenses. And the truth is, is that most people actually fall into category two and three. I know that in my life this is true, that most people fall into category two or three, I want you to consider a story in the Bible, and it's one that is extremely, extremely powerful. Oh, it's such, a, it's such a sweeping warning in our life. And if we would listen to it, if we'd hear it, it's the story of Absalom. If you don't know the story of Absalom, Absalom was a son of King David who had a beautiful sister named Tamra. But David also had another son. It was a half-brother of Absalom who raped this half-brother raped his Absalom's sister, Tamara. And Absalom got so infuriated that he let this offense fester. Now, here's the thing that I want to tell you. I want to ask you guys because this is very challenging. Oh, but it's so deep. Because the reality is that for many of you here, we're not talking about just this Simple little wounds like somebody didn't invite me to a party or, or, but we're talking about deep things. But was that Absalom's offense? Oh, friends, it wasn't. Tamara actually had started to deal with it. And it never got to David's doorstep. And as a result, as you read the story, that Absalom's heart grew harder and harder until eventually, two years later, he kills his half-brother. And then he flees. And what's amazing about that story is there's still a shred of grace that runs through that, that David's heart never left Absalom. He still longed for Absalom. But the bitterness that, that, that rose from a collected offense... The convincing that began to take place in Absalom's heart drug him not only out of the presence of the kingdom and the presence of the king, which was his father, but drug him into a place of such a broken state that he went into rebellion. And the scripture tells us that when, Dave, uh, when Absalom eventually came back into the city, what he did is he set up and he conspired and he began to set himself up as a king outside the city gates. And he began to greet the people before they would come in to meet before David, to meet before David's court. And he would answer their questions. And the scripture tells us this, that he 
gathered up the love of the people so much to a point that he went to Hebron, which was a part of, of Jerusalem there. And he goes in and he tells his mighty men, you're going to go and you're going to present yourself in a festival. And then at the right time, I'm going to tell you to stand up and begin to scream out that Absalom is the king over Hebron. And his men do that. And anarchy ensues inside of Jerusalem. And David flees. Eventually what happens is this. Is that Absalom is killed. Running from his father. What's the moral of this story? Is this. Is that sometimes it doesn't really matter if the offense has happened to you or not. See in God's eyes it doesn't matter if it's something that actually afflicted you. Or something that you think afflicted you that really didn't. It really isn't what you think it is. Or it's a collected offense. The effect is still the same. And God's heart toward it is still the same to heal you. It's still the same to heal you. Most of us don't think that we are in category two. Some of us feel justified being in category three. But it doesn't matter. Whether you're in one, two, or three, you're being held captive. I want you to stop and think and reflect for just a second over the things that you have been offended by. Parents, did you get offended because somebody treated your kids a certain way? <laughs> hmm. Hey, did you get offended because you heard something, but you don't know if it's true? Hey, did you get offended because a friend went to you and told you about somebody and, and you got offended? I remember, listen, when I was in Bible school, my very first, like, two weeks I was at Bible school, y'all. Bible school is going to come back in this story. You watch. And I had a roommate who was a drummer on the worship team, and he was a, he was a thin guy. He was a quiet guy. He was a nice guy, but he liked to play basketball. And I didn't like playing basketball when I went to the gym, and I was working out, and I sat and I watched him play basketball this one afternoon. And there was some professor's kid playing against him who was a punk. Yep, I said punk, y'all. And he pushed my roommate, and he started to want to fight my roommate. So I just got on my knees, y'all, in the bleachers as I was watching, and I prayed, and I said, Lord, please strike him down. No, I jumped up out of the bleachers, and I ran out onto the court. And I was like, what are you doing? You ain't messing with my roommate. And I knew my roommate all of two weeks, you know. But I was like, you're not going to pick on my best friend. <laughs> and so he started, like, getting in my face. And we were about to tussle. And it, it, he got broke up. I looked around, and my roommate was gone. <laughs> I'm like, Immediately, I got offended by what I saw happening to him. I picked it up, and I worked it out, and all of a sudden, I, he wasn't even worried about it. He was like, dude, I'm done playing anyways. It's like, what is going on? That's super silly, isn't it? But a lot of times, if we think about the offenses that have taken place in our heart, uh, what takes place is this, is that we realize that sometimes we pick them up, don't we? We pick them up from what we see. We pick them up from what we hear. We pick them up in Facebook. We pick them up in, in, in conversations with our spouse. Somebody says something to our spouse, whatever. Someone says to our kids some, sometimes. But then there are also are times where we really have been offended. There are other times. But can I tell you 
can I tell you this? That in our life, God doesn't care how we've got it. What He cares is that we get freedom. All right. I want to talk to you just a second about the traits of the offended. And again, I want us to take a little bit of time to be introspective. And again, I'm not trying to overreach here, but I do want to say something back to this. Is that this month of Elul for the, for the Jews is significant because it is a month of introspection where the mercy of God is first before the judgment of God comes at Yom Kippur. And in our lives, if we will take the time, even in the most painful parts of our life where we say, look, maybe I held on to something too long or maybe I have this trait or this is something that's working in me and we understand that in Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit, the King is always in the field and His mercies are always for us. There can be freedom, there can be healing, and there can be forgiveness. Okay? And so this is why we're talking about this, all right? So I'm going to talk about the traits of the offended. One thing I do want to say before we get into these three things, and then we're going to be done, is that when we choose to be offended, and we choose to side on offense no matter how it comes, I say this with a lot of grace, what we are choosing to do once the Holy Spirit has spoken to us and wants to deal with this in our life, wants to bring us to freedom, if we choose to hold on to it, we are choosing to sin. Choosing to sin. And I don't say that with any kind of condemnation. I say that is this, is because the gift of healing has been handed to us and we're rejecting it. We're rejecting the authority and the justice and the mercy of God. Friends, don't ever reject the mercy of God when he is near. Don't ever do that. Don't ever do that. All right, let's talk about that. I know that was heavy. I'm not trying to be heavy. <laughs> but I want to tell you the truth. Okay? All right. All right, so let's talk about the traits of the offended. And if any of these, for me, guys, I want to, I want to just say this first, that as I studied this, there are, there are things that I see myself in these traits, a little bit in every one of these traits, that I've had to go, God, I need your help. I need your help. I need your help. I want to be free. I want to be a person who is free in you. Okay, so the first trait of the offended is this, is always trying to set the record straight. Always trying to set the record straight. Now, a lot of times, this is what we do when we hear these, is that we tend to think about that other person. We tend to see through the lens of, yeah, that, you know, Bob really deals with that. You know, Bob's always trying to set the record straight. That's not the objective. Because you are not going to bring freedom to Bob. You are responsible for you. So you need to hear these for you. And if none of these apply to you, then say, thank you, Jesus, that I'm a, I'm a free person, that offense isn't rooted in me, and help me to always be protected. Because remember, Luke 17, 1, offense will come. Offense will come. The opportunity for offense will come. All right. Always trying to set the record straight. The things that we say, if we, if we suffer with this, this trait, is we wrestle with this idea of who is going to avenge me? Who is going to do it? What if I don't say anything? What will happen then? What will people think? If I don't say anything, if I don't speak up, if I don't, if I don't tell people what happened, and again, I want you to reflect 
on the situation with Absalom. And I think this is probably the biggest truth about Absalom. And anybody who picks up an offense that's not their own is that they're set, trying to set the record straight. But what happens when we do this is this, is that we negate the providential working of the justice of God, and this is so significant. It's so significant. Romans 12, 19 says, Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Oh, I could talk about this for a long time. I want to tell you that a lot of times that this overwhelming sense in our life when we feel offense is to, to get our side of the story out, to, to, to tell this, to let people know what's really happening, and to do this. But in reality, when we do this, what we don't realize is that we're not bringing justice. We're not fixing the problem. All we're doing is spewing out our offense for other people to grab. And it's such a thing in our life where God wants to bring us to this place where we learn to trust His process in the part of His healing for us. See, because when God says this about revenge, He's not talking about this Him destroying people. Is that He's talking about destroying the work of the enemy. And I want to tell you this, and everybody knows this to be true, is that You'll never find enough people to tell your side of the story to to get to the place where it's all better and the offense has gone away. And the reality and the truth behind that is this, is because you can't control the process of God's healing and judgment. Only he can and he will judge the accuser of your life. You know, I'm really, I'm, I'm, I'm admiring this process right now without going into details between a couple of large name ministries in our country and, and there's some terrible accusations that are being hurled against this particular ministry that I'm, I, I regard highly and I've been to and I've, I've touched and been there personally. And, and what's amazing is this, is though the rhetoric around this ministry is going around, they've said nothing. You mark my words. God will deal with that. You watch. You watch. When we let it down and we let it go, what, what, here, here's a thought. What if nobody's ever sets the record straight? Would you be okay with that? Let me ask you another question. What if God chooses to let it go uncorrected? Are you okay with that? Because when we ask ourselves these hard questions, if, if we're struggling in this area, then what happens is, is this, is that we're, we're defining who we trust and who we are letting be responsible for the healing of our life. And again, I just, I just say this to you guys and anybody who's been in this position, I certainly have, is that when I try to make it right in my own strength, it, it always falls apart. It gets worse. When I trust the Lord, He's able to heal me completely. All right, this number two, the second trait is this. Is we're going to call this one the victim complex. But I want to, I want to tell you that because I, I've, I've, I've been in this category. Um, you're in good company because guys like Elijah and Jeremiah also dealt with this. And what the victim complex says is this, is that nobody gets me. They don't understand me. 
You could call it the Eeyore complex too. <laughs> all poo. It's all bad. It's all poo poo. All right. We feel like the only one who's always being persecuted. And sometimes we think that because, as it was the case for Jeremiah, because we're so godly. We're persecuted because we're so godly. Or we think that people are out to get us and we become suspicious of people's motives. We think that anybody who does not agree with us, that they're wrong and we're against them. Think about this, Elijah. What happened at Mount Horeb with Elijah? What did Elijah say to God? It's always been one of my favorite stories in the, in the Bible and, and, and to see the because I know that I certainly can relate, and many of you can too. If you just watch at Mount Carmel, God do a miraculous, powerful thing. He did the supernatural and the impossible. And the work of, of, of redemption is starting to happen. You guys remember the story, don't you? At Mount Carmel, Elijah has a showdown with the prophets of Baal. And he goes ahead, and he's even so bold, he's mocking them. The, 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 the scripture tells us, he goes, go ahead, take your time, do what you need to do, sing and dance. And they were performing just terrible acts trying to solicit the God that wasn't Baal to come and consume the sacrifice. And so when it became Elijah's turn, what did he do? As he took and he doused, he saturated, completely soaked his offering with water, built a moat around it and proceeded to call down fire from heaven and God consumed it. At that point, something really awesome happened, <laughs> and, and turn your heads if you're faint of heart, but is that they started to kill the prophets of Baal. They destroyed them, and in, in the hearts of Israel started to return to God, but then Jezebel and Ahab put out a word, and Jezebel said to, sent the word out, said, as certainly as I live tomorrow, Elijah will be dead. And what does Elijah do? Elijah runs. He runs. He runs. He goes from this place of boldness and power and where the supernatural has been confirmed to a place, really, if we just are honest about it, and sometimes we have to call it what it is, of cowardice. And he goes and he runs to Horeb and he hides and God visits him and he tries to visit Elijah in three different things and God wasn't in any one of those signs. It wasn't in the wind, wasn't in the fire, wasn't in the, in the shaking, he wasn't in all that, but God was in the still small voice and he asked Elijah this question. And again, you would think, wouldn't you, that the, all that would be enough, wouldn't it? But it wasn't. And he says, Elijah, why are you here? And what's Elijah's response to God? He says, I'm, I'm the only one left. It's just me, God. It's just me. I done it. I did what you asked me to do, and everybody abandoned me, and it's just me. I'm the only one here, and now they're going to kill me. And what happened was this, is that Elijah became a victim. He became a victim. And in a big reality is this, is that God had to remind him that, no, Elijah, it's not just you left, that there's uh, quite a few prophets of mine who have not bowed their knee to Baal, and I want you to go and I want you to appoint them and anoint them. And one of one that was, stood in a double anointing of Elijah was Elisha. And the truth is this, is that when we gather upon ourselves a victim mentality, a lot of times when we get offended and we feel like it is us versus the world, what we're doing is what we are not acknowledging the truth of what is around us and the good things that God has placed around us. 
We've gathered the wrong perception, haven't we? We've gathered the wrong perception. Oh, man. I tell you what. There's so many things that could be said about that. Jeremiah was the same way. Is that though he was called and he was called to carry a heavy message, again, the persecution that he felt, he felt because he was so godly. And he thought it was him versus the world. And in some ways it seemed that way, but the truth of God being with him was greater. And that's the problem a lot of times when we get into this position where we are continually see ourselves as a victim is that we can't, not, not to be cheesy or give you a, 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 just a, a, a statement, a cliche statement, is that when we choose to be a victim, we can't really see the victory of God in our life, can we? We can't. And when we get into that place where all we see is the, the victimization. Now, I want to say something just very sincerely, okay, because... I know that when I, I throw a, a shotgun blast over the congregation, that there's many of you here. And some of you, again, you feel like a victim because you've picked up other people's offenses and you've grown to, to, in your heart to carry a culture of offense. There's some of you here that think you've been wounded, but you really haven't. You really haven't. And so you're carrying offense. But then there are some of you here who have been victimized, truly victimized, and you feel like a victim. Now, I want to stop, and in the grace of Jesus Christ, I want to speak to those of you who have been victimized and are carrying offense because of that. That is a real wound. That is a deep wound. Even the wounds where we pick up, where things didn't really happen, or the wounds we pick up from other people are real wounds. But those of you who have been victimized, those of you who have been molested, those of you who have been physically abused, those of you who have been emotionally abused, those of you who have been abandoned in your life, those are real wounds. But I want to tell you that in the name of Jesus, that the love and the grace of the Father is great enough to heal you and to make you whole. You are not those wounds. You are not those wounds. You are so much more. You are so much more beautiful. You are so much more valuable. You are so much more loved. You are so much more important. And in the name of Jesus, I rebuke every lie of the enemy. And I speak your life, Jesus, over every person. Okay. It's important to clarify that because a lot of times when I say that, some of us see ourselves as victims and it's, it's, it's foolishness. You're not a victim. But some of you have been victimized and there's healing for you. All right. The third one is this. Justin, come on up, bud is that we have a trait where we're, we're blaming. <laughs> and boy, oh boy. A ding, da ding, ding, ding. All right. We give everybody else the credit for the condition of our life. Oh, if my wife. <laughs> Let me talk about my wife for a second. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not kidding. <laughs> oh, man. That's funny. That's funny. I'm telling you guys, I, I'm, I'm guilty of this. Maybe it's if my husband, my husband did this or that. My friend did this, if my employer did this, or if this hadn't happened, right? We're blaming, we're blaming all these other things. If they would have recognized my, my great giftedness, they would have promoted me, right? Something's happened. 
We spend time blaming other things. And again, you can see this thread that runs through all of these things that sometimes we carry when we have an offense. Trying to set the record straight, we, we carry on this, this, this attitude of victimization. Or we begin blaming. Is that the objective of the enemy in every one of these traits is to pull our attention off of the mercy and the goodness of God to bring healing to us? To bring healing to us? To move us out of the place where, where that wound of offense has authority in our life? And friends, I want to tell you that in this series, we're going to talk more about this, how we deal with these things. But this is where it starts is that if anything that you heard this morning you can identify with, and I think in a lot of ways most of us can somehow, but some of you currently might be dealing with uh, an offense, then it's time that we put it before the Lord. It's time that we open up our heart and we put that before the Lord and we say, God, uh, I, don't, I can't hold this up anymore because, again, this, this is a very powerful truth here is that an offense is too big for you to carry. And that's why you see a lot of times, or maybe you've experienced this, that when you get offended in your life, you pull away from people because you can't, you can't uphold any of the, the strain in your life for anything else. Whether it's a subtle, quiet offense or if it's a deep, deep wound that's been with you for a long time. And the purpose again, of the trap of offense from the enemy's perspective is to break those two key relationships that we have to have to grow in freedom and fulfill what God's called us to, and that is a growing, thriving relationship with God and a growing, thriving relationship with other people. We need both of those things. And this morning, some of you, because of the offense that has sat in your heart, you're not just offended with people, but you're also offended at God. I don't want you to raise your hand, but I want some of you just to think, have you been offended with God? I'm going to raise my hand, because I have. I've had some pretty rough conversations with God. And you know one thing that I never do when I have a rough conversation with God is dance around waiting to get struck by lightning? And I'm going to tell you something, that if you have that perception... You need to let it go. I'm going to say something that some of you need to hear correctly. You can be offended with God without the fear of him striking you down. And here's why. Is that God is bigger than that. But some of you need to get it out on the table and say, God, I'm, 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 I'm angry. I'm angry and I don't understand. But once you say that, what you have to do is this, is you have to say, but I invite you to come. I invite you to come. I had something very significant happen to me when I was 16 years old. And I know as a 44-year-old man, this sounds foolish, but it marked me. I had my childhood best friend. He got his girlfriend pregnant and the baby died. Baby died. And I went up to the hospital, and I saw him, and he cried on my shoulder, and I held him. 
And I saw his girlfriend, and I saw this, and I was so angry. I don't know what happened, but I was so angry at God. My mom was the secretary at the church at the time. And so I would go up to my church, and on one weekday, I walked up into the church sanctuary. It was a church of about 1,000 people, and it was completely empty. And I walked into the sanctuary, and I got up on the stage, and I said, God, I hate you, and I'm mad at you, at what you did. And if you're real, I want you to come down and I want you to do your worst. I don't care. I was foolish. I was stupid. Oh, foolish Andy, childish Andy. But I'm going to tell you what I encountered. It didn't happen that day. Oh, thank you, Jesus, that you didn't do what I asked you to do. Mm. So I know he's good. Thank you for not listening to me sometimes. So a few weeks later, I was sitting in that same sanctuary on a Sunday morning, and my arms were crossed during worship. And I was standing there because I had to go to church. And our church was like four hours long. That's cruel and unusual punishment. And I was standing there. And then all of a sudden, I felt like a blanket of the love of God fall over me. And this is what I heard from the Lord. And he said this to me. He said, Andy... Hey, guess what? I don't got to tell you, but you got to understand that I love you and I'm in control. And I don't know what it was about it, but it healed me and it rectified and it set something inside of me to know that I serve a God who is not angry. He's not punishing, but his mercy and his grace extends to me. Oh, and I fell in love with him and I got free. I'm telling you. Some of you need to let go of the offense that you have to God. He's ready. (laughs) He didn't break Jacob's leg. He just made him walk differently. But he changed his name. Uh Uh-oh. Oh, I like it. All right. Some of you need to get some healing from the offense that other people cause. All right, let's pray. Let's just pray. Holy Spirit, we just welcome you here. We just welcome you here in your grace and your mercy. Lord, sometimes these things, when we talk about them, they're so heavy and they're so raw and they're so real that we don't like, we, we try to put them in the smallest, most compact corner of our heart. But God, you know, you know, you know, you know, you know. Oh, and Lord, you keep putting your finger on it because you want your freedom to come. And so today we just make a confession, Lord, that we're not running from your freedom. But God, we're going to see your goodness. We're going to let you heal our hearts. So I just pray, Lord, for those in this room, and if this is you, you just make a gesture to the Lord. There's nobody looking. If you want to raise your hands or kneel or whatever you want to do, say, God, I've been angry with you for a long time, and I've been offended by you, but just like You spoke when John the Baptist's disciples came to you. And you showed them that the kingdom has come. You said, blessed are those who are not offended because of me. God, we don't have to understand. And it's we can't understand. But you give us something much greater than understanding. Is that you surround us in your love that gives us peace and security. And so, God, for those who have been wounded in that place and the enemy has attempted to lie to them, and they, Lord, we bid into that lie, the first thing that we say, God, is I'm sorry. We turn and we repent for that, but we invite you to come 
to heal us, to set us free, to fill us with the revelation of your mercy and your goodness and the love that you have for us, to begin to be the one who revenges, Lord, the enemy of our soul and turns that place of hurt and bitterness and pain and death into a place of life. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and do that. We release that area to you, God. And we trust in return that you return to us your, your, your healing and your grace. Lord, I pray for those this morning, and we've all been in this category at one place or another, at one time or another, that we've been offended by somebody. Lord, whether it's something that happened to us directly, and Lord, for those people again in the name of Jesus, I pray that you be the vindicator that you be the one who comes down in the, 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 the overwhelming presence of your love and begins to touch that wound in their soul and brings healing and breaks the stronghold of the lie of the enemy off of them. That they are not the victim of what happened to them. That is not who they are and that is not where they get their identity, but their identity comes from the love of the Father. Lord, for those who have felt the wounds of offense, though nothing's happened, and the enemy has been working on that. Father, we just repent, and we say we need your freedom. We need your freedom. Would you come and free us? Would you come and let your grace allow forgiveness to flow? And Lord, for us, Lord, who foolishly picked up the offenses of somebody else, forgive us for not trusting you and walking in your spirit and listening to you. Lord, forgive us for the times we've opened our mouth and we've spread offense. Holy Spirit, will you help us? Will you help us? Will you help us? Would you heal us? Would you help us to be a people who don't let offense flow through us? Thank you for who you are. You are good. You are good. You are good. Now, Holy Spirit, just let your freedom begin to reign in every heart and in every mind. We pray. Lord, I just begin to... Holy Spirit, would you just begin to just release, Lord, the powerful understanding in every heart and every mind of the, the gift of God that they are to you and to the body, the value that they are to you and the value that they are to the body. Would you just begin to release that Holy Spirit over our lives, Lord, especially for those who need that right now. They need a sense of value. Would you just begin to release that, Holy Spirit? There's some of you here this morning that you need to understand that. That you are valuable. You are valuable. You are valuable. You are valuable. That you are valuable to the Father. That you are valuable to the body. That your time is not done. You are valuable. You are valuable. You are valuable. Oh, some of you have been on a hiatus. You've been on a break. The enemy thought he got you on a break. But I'm telling you that in the name of Jesus, that break time is over. And so I just declare to those that, Holy Spirit, you would begin to fan the flame, Lord, of the giftedness and the calling that you placed in them, that you would remind them of that thing that you put in them and stir that thing up in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. And Lord, any place where an offense or a wound has tried to sideline the giftedness, Lord, of your sons and your daughters, Lord, you serve a death blow to that lie of the enemy in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You're so good. You're so good. Oh, we love you. You are so good. I just want to tell you, Lord, just between me and you, you are good. 
You are good. Thank you. Thank you for dealing with dumb Andy, 16-year-old Andy. Thank you for loving him. Oh, thank you, Father, that you love me. Man, you're good. You're good. Oh, I love you. I love you. I love you. Amen, 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 amen. You know, go ahead and stand your feet. All right, all right. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. What I just want to do as we close out of here, I'm going to dismiss you. And, and one of the things I love about our church, so many things, I really love this church. I love you um, guys so much, is that we take time to try to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And a lot of times what we think is that ministry occurs in this little uh, space right here. And it, sure it does. It, it does all the time. And but sometimes we gotta we gotta think a little bit outside the box, and this is what I want to encourage you to do, to do today. I just rapped, right? Is that some of you are feeling the unction of the Holy Spirit to go to somebody to pray for them to look and don't let me let me set some qualifications, guys. Don't go to ladies, all right? Just just keep keep it. Let's let's do this right. Some of you are feeling and you're saying, look, I, I need to go pray for that person, encourage that person, then let ministry flow. Some of you, look, you, you might have said, look, I said something. Hey, hey, there's a lot of families in this place. <laughs> and and they're just the blunt reality is that sometimes the, the, the healing from the, the, the work of offense, some of you spouses need to look at each other and say, hey, I'm sorry. Some of you, your parents and kids need to say, I'm sorry. There's nothing more valuable in my life than you. Siblings, whatever it is, right? We live in Southeast Texas. We all know each other, right? Okay? All right. But let ministry flow. Come on. Let's let it flow. And if you're feeling the Holy Spirit move you to somebody, then go for it. Go talk to them. Go do it in love and go do it in encouragement. Go do it in encouragement. Amen. Amen. Father, I bless these folks because they are yours. They are the sheep and they hear your voice. Jesus, they hear your voice, and a voice of another they do not hear. And so let your voice ring loud and clear with mercy and grace following them. We love you, Jesus. Pursue them in your goodness, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. We love you. See you at small groups next week.